0: Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is a reading from 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, this life was made manifest and we saw it and we testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing this, that our joy may be complete. When I'm uh, meeting with someone, particularly in the context of spiritual direction, for maybe the first time, one of the the first questions, the most basic question I'll ask them is this question. What happened to you? Or in other words, how did God get to you? Because it really is a fundamental question. Because, you know, you and I we wouldn't be here, right? Not just in this chapel, or not even in our vocation, but particularly in, in this relationship with the Lord. We're not for someone, right? Not something, but someone entering our lives. And in some sense, causing chaos in a, in a good way. You know, when I was um, 19 years old I was just sort of experiencing a bit of a reversion and one night I was with a group of my friends who were not experiencing <laughs> reversion or conversion and I remember there was like five of us there and everyone we were just talking and just just being, just being goofy and one of my friends said to me, he looked over at me and he said, he said what's your problem? and I was like I had no idea what he was talking about. I was like, what do you you mean, what's my problem? He said to me, he said, it's like you've fallen in love or something. (laughs) He's like, you're not here with us. He's like, we're talking, but you're not listening. You know, and he said, I can tell when I look at you, you're not with us anymore. And I was like, whoa. But he was right on. I wasn't with him anymore. Because my heart and my mind... somewhere else not somewhere else but it was with somewhere someone else and they could tell and this is why you know the Christian life can be called uh, many things but I think ultimately at its root the Christian life is a love story it's ultimately this witness to someone namely Jesus entering our lives and transforming us from the inside out. How does God do this? It's not normally with, you know, rules and commands at first. It's with his presence. His presence I don't want to say it comes into our life because he's always present to us, but in some sense it awakens in us. God who has really always been here, but we always haven't been here with him. And this is why attention to God's presence in one's life is really the key to understanding our life, to understanding your own vocation. You know, so many people will ask, you know, what well, Father, what should I do with my life, right? How should I live? Should I marry this person? Should I enter this community? Should I play the lottery? <laughs> all kinds of, all kinds of funny questions. And the answer is always, where is God in your life? Where is God's presence in your life? One of my friends, this is a different friend from the other friends I was describing earlier, but he he grew up in a very devout family. And when he was around 19, he didn't want to have anything to do anymore with with religion, because he thought he knew it all. And what he did was he left his family when he was 19 and started traveling across this country. And he was basically driving around, doing whatever he wanted, and was just living this sort of free life, as he described it. And for about a year, he said, he went all over this country doing all kinds of crazy things. And he said, after a year, he got bored. And so he he worked, he got a job, saved some money, and went to Europe. And he said, now I'm gonna backpack across Europe, because this is where I'm gonna find this, this freedom and this truth that I'm desiring. And he said about after three months into backpacking across Europe, he woke up one day and he realized that he was utterly miserable. All of his attempts to try to make himself happy utterly failed. And for the first time in about three years, he prayed that morning. And he said, as he was praying, he heard these words in the very depths of his heart. You, Joseph, don't have to create your life. It's already given to you. And those words utterly shocked him. Two weeks later, he left Europe and went home to his family and entered back into the faith. And he said the essence of his story, of how the Lord got to him, was returning to the place from where he started. Not only physically going back to his home, but interiorly returning to the Lord. Now, obviously, all of our stories don't have to be that dramatic. There's a sister who I'm a spiritual director for. I asked her if I could share this story, so don't worry. And this sister grew up in a, again, a very devout family. And she knew the Lord. And one day she was in adoration. And she was sitting in adoration, or kneeling in adoration, praying the rosary. And she said in a a flash, she had this interior awareness that God knows her. And I mean like really knows her in a way that her parents, her friends, her siblings, her teachers didn't know her. And she said it was so dramatic that the rosary fell out of her hands. And she just sat there in front of Jesus in in the Eucharist with this deep interior awareness that Jesus knows me in a way that I've never known. And what's interesting about her is that this was all stuff she knew in her mind. But that day, it became infused in her heart. And it changed her. And she said that the essence of her story is discovering that she was discovered. And so the question is, you know, what about you? What about me? What is the essence of your story? You know, whether it was through heartache, whether it was through love, Whether it was through suffering. Whether it was through, maybe you were duped by the Lord, like the prophet Jeremiah. That's why I took the name. More on that later. But how, I would say, how God got to you is your personal, unique love song from the Lord. And I would say that the secret, the very secret to happiness, to holiness, is keeping this song close to your heart. Not grasping at it, not shouting it so that it drowns out the songs of others, but allowing it To really play as the background of your life. When Saint Francis was approaching the end of his life, he wrote this very little uh, letter that's called, it's called the Testament. And in it, it's exactly what it says he is, he gives his sort of testimony of what happened to him. And I just want to read you just the first paragraph. This is what St. Francis says. He says, When I was in sin, it seemed bitter for me to see lepers. And the Lord himself led me among them, and I showed mercy to them. And when I left them, what had seemed bitter to me was turned into sweetness of soul and body. You know, St. Francis was like many normal people in the 12th century. Leprosy was <coughs> very widespread and everyone was afraid of the lepers because it was, you could catch it very easily and there was no cure. And so lepers were sort of ostracized to a part of society, right? And if they came anywhere near the town, they had a ring of bell and everyone would run away. Imagine walking into a room and everyone runs away when you walk in I mean this is sort of the experience of lepers and so St. Francis because he's a just a normal human being was afraid of these people and the essence of Francis's story is encountering Christ in the poor by surprise but here's what's interesting Francis' encounter, ultimately with with Jesus in the lepers, is going to play as the background music to his life. This is why Francis can't become a monk. This is why Francis can't become a diocesan priest or a hermit, because the Lord led him to lepers. And hermits, diocesan priests, didn't work with lepers. And you know, everyone wanted to challenge Francis when he was trying to begin this, this new way of life because they're saying, you know, just become a Benedictine or become a diocesan priest. And Francis would always say, the Lord did not lead me to the Benedictines or to become a diocesan priest. And so, Franciscan life, this really, this new way of living, the gospel, this completely new charism in the church, begins because St. Francis is listening to the song that the Lord has given to him. One of the, the greatest joys of my life is is doing directed retreats with people. And I think, you know, I was trying to think the other day, now this is an estimate, but I think I have probably directed around a hundred people on a, like a five or an eight day retreat. Forty of which are your sisters. (laughs) Some of whom are in this very room and they have lived to tell about it. And you know what's interesting about the hundred people? You would think somewhere in those hundred people, and some of them are repeats, you would think that there are some of those retreats are kind of similar. Out of a hundred people, there has been a hundred different retreats. Because each person is so utterly unique. And God is so utterly respectful to each person's uniqueness. It blows my mind. I just sit there in awe. Because in the spiritual life, even in religious life and community, there are no identical twins with the Lord. Just a little side note here. This is why if you ever have a spiritual director who tries to conform you to his or her spirituality, run away from that person as quickly as possible. As Jesus says, shake the dust from your feet. Sorry, I had to say that. So the most amazing aspect of me as a director (laughs) is to watch how God accommodates himself to each person it's like you would almost think now this is not true but you would almost think there's different gods here because he's acting so differently with each person you know if a person is fearful God tends to be extremely gentle If a person sometimes is maybe deaf, or maybe being a little stubborn, God tends to shout, or maybe to be a little more direct. That's oftentimes the way God is with me. If a person is anxious, God tends to be so very patient. And obviously, you know, God is all of those things, all the time. He's always gentle, right? Sometimes he's direct, he's always patient. But depending on the person and their needs at that time, God is sometimes more or sometimes less. Hence, God meets us exactly where we are. Not to stay there, of course, but to accompany us and to move us forward. Right, this is what the parable of the good shepherd is about. Right? Jesus goes to the lost sheep Right, because he's lost. Somehow he's he strayed from the crowd. And when Jesus recognizes that this one sheep has gone astray, d- does he say, you know, well, he'll catch up. You know, it's his fault that he got left behind. He'll catch up. No, Jesus does the exact opposite. He leaves them to go after this one because he's lost. And, you know, to make this maybe a little bit more practical for us, uh, particularly in religious life, in, in my opinion and in my own experience, one of the greatest obstacles, obviously besides sin, of hearing and experiencing God in my own life is comparing myself to other people which is essentially listening to somebody else's song and not the one that God is singing in my life you know in the Gospel of John Remember in chapter twenty-one, G- Peter is with Jesus, and he sees John walking. And you know, Peter, he's still human, right? He asks Jesus, "What about John? Is he going to is he going to betray you?" And you know what does Jesus say to him? He says to him, John, or he says Peter, "If it's my will that he remains, what is that to you?" He says, "You follow me." In other words, what's he telling Peter? Don't worry about John. You follow me. You keep your eyes on me. John has to keep his eyes on me as well. We get into trouble when we take our eyes off Jesus. You know, it's funny. Other people's talents and other people's gifts are meant to edify us. They're meant to encourage us because of our our brokenness and because of our own insecurity they intimidate us and they become a source of, of desolation they become a source of discouragement you know what does this look like you know in religious life we compare ourselves to the other members right maybe there's a I'll use my community as an example. Maybe there's a friar who's just a really uh, gifted preacher, right? Or who's just really good with the poor. Like the poor just love him. And maybe I'm not so good at either. And so I'm looking at him. I'm taking my eyes off the Lord and I'm comparing myself to him. And I feel inadequate, right? I feel maybe I'm not holy enough. Maybe I don't have a vocation after all, because I'm not like him. Or maybe the person that you're sitting with in chapel, maybe they're reading the Summa during Holy Hour. <laughs> we're friars, we're not doing that, but you're all much smarter than we are. So. And maybe you see the sister sitting next to you reading the Summa, and you're just like sitting there looking at Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, but then you look at her and you're like, oh, maybe I should be reading the Summa. Don't follow that. Too much. <laughs> but Rihanna, maybe she's supposed to be reading the Summa. <laughs> maybe that's where Jesus is meeting her. He's probably not meeting you there because you would be reading it probably if he wanted you to be there. <laughs> but we get intimidated by other people. And so we take our eyes off the Lord. You know, for lay people, I, I, this is something that's so common. The children or the spouse of other people. Now look how good their kids are in church, right? They don't fall asleep, they don't yell, they don't start crying, whereas my kids are like, you know, swinging from the lights and doing all kinds of crazy things. Something must, I must not be a good parent, or I must not be a good spouse. Something must be wrong with me. Because my children or my spouse is not like that. This is one of the easiest tricks, I believe, that the enemy uses. Why? Because what does comparing yourself do? It leads to despair. Because it distracts you from the grace of God that is in your life it turns his presence into absence. Now obviously we're meant to be encouraged and edified by others. And sometimes the example of others does spurn us on. But if we're not looking at the Lord and if we're just comparing ourselves to other people and to where we think they are we're going to to miss the song that God is trying to sing in your life. You know, this is, um, this is a, a struggle that I've had in my own life. Um, I live in, in Monticello, New York, which is like two hours from here. And I have, I'm very blessed, I had this very uh, contemplative life. And I'm basically the only friar in my community who wants to live a contemplative life. And for many, many years, it was a source of struggle, because I was looking at what the other friars were doing and comparing myself to them, thinking maybe maybe I'm supposed to be more active. Meanwhile, the Lord was singing this contemplative song in my own heart. It was a quiet song, without words. (laughs) But nonetheless, it was a song. And you know, for years I was like, you know, I'm either misinterpreting this or maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe I'm not supposed to, maybe the Lord's called me to be a hermit. And it turns out that he's not. <laughs> and as a proof of this, just a couple of weeks ago, um, our community, we call him servants, or superiors, was at my friary. And, um, and he knows all of this because he's like one of my best friends. It helps when your superior is like your best friend (laughs) and um he basically uh reaffirmed exactly where i'm living and what i'm doing he actually invited me to to go deeper in it and i oftentimes think why that was so huge because it was almost like on a communal level he was confirming the song that i thought or i believed the lord was singing in my own heart and it proved out that it's true And all of that doubt that I had, maybe this isn't the song the Lord's singing, proves, in the end, to be a distraction. Because I wasn't looking at the Lord. I mean, I would be, and then I'd give in to maybe fear or some anxiety about, what then am I supposed to be doing? It's a tremendous distraction. And so imagine if St. Francis... (coughs) listen to the song that God sung in St. Benedict. We wouldn't have a St. Francis. Imagine if uh, Mother Teresa listened to the song that God was singing in St. Catherine Drexel. We wouldn't have a St. Teresa of Calcutta. And sisters, I would say that if you or I do not become saints, it's because we didn't listen to the song that God is singing in our lives. And so, you know, we began this this little talk here with the words of St. John. Right? He said, that which we have heard Which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, we testify and proclaim to you. And the same has to be true for us. What you have heard, what you have seen with your eyes, and touched with your hands must proclaim to the world. This is, in some sense, your message. This is your greatest witness. Because it proves to the world that love really does exist. If love doesn't exist, then our lives are a complete joke. We are the greatest of fools. But we know that love does exist. And that love has a name, Jesus. And he's revealed himself to us. And that's not a revelation that is something in the past. It's something that continues each moment of our lives, even though we're not oftentimes aware of it. And so today, sisters, let's pray for the grace to keep our eyes on the Lord to listen to the song that He's singing in our lives so that we can follow Him wherever it is He's leading us. Amen. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit.